Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. On off guard by the South Carolina primary this past weekend, I'm Nick Saveri. Oh, did you have an advanced copy of my notes here, Nick? Uh, on the program today, the South Carolina primary, President Biden won it. Did you even know it happened? Nick didn't even know it happened. Nick and I on the Democratic primary, full swing as South Carolina voters had their chance to say who they want to represent. The Democratic Party come in November's general election. We're going to look at the Senate border bill that is stuck, why it's stuck. And plus, later on in the program to talk everything about the primaries, voter apathy, trends, everything that she's been seeing on the ground in Iowa and South Carolina. Friend of the pod, New York Times politics reporter Maya King is going to join us. She's going to break all of that down. She does fantastic work. And in our final segment, something you're not going to want to miss, folks, to LinkedIn or to not LinkedIn. Do people understand what they're posting on LinkedIn? Nick and I, with a few maybe cringy LinkedIn posts that are going to make you go, "Mm, I wouldn't do that. Uh, Before I say hello to my co-host, Nick Saveri, all the episodes right now on leonmedianetwork.com or wherever you listen to podcasts, all of our shows, Back Your Play with Q, Rich and the team getting you ready for the Super Bowl. Coming up this Sunday, Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift, George Kittle. 49ers, Chiefs, everything for the big game. Rich and crew got you covered. If you lead them podcast, all new episode is out there from our friend Katie Burnett. All of the best leaders out there in different industries, their leadership skills, secrets, everything that they've documented. They share with you on this podcast. You can go check it out over on LeahMediaNetwork.com or wherever you listen to pods. And then Nick, Stacy, and Patrice, the Educate US folks, a fantastic episode with Damari Bonilla Rodriguez, which you guys could not pronounce properly on the podcast, but I'm doing it here. Stacey did a good job. Nah, man. She did Come okay. On. She did okay. A hell of a lot better than me. I mean, okay. I, yeah. I, Nick, I, Nick I said like a damn landmine. Nick said Bonilla for, for my Hispanic listeners out there. I which, asked if it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Anyway, um, but you can go check out a fantastic episode with her. She has done some fantastic work, a lot of great stuff that she's gotten into in a new book that she's writing. Go check out the latest episode of the Educate US podcast. Listen to it wherever you get your pods or go to leonmedianetwork.com. All right. Now I say hello to my buddy, Nick Saveri. Nick, you know, before we get started here, two things for me real quick, because we're going to get into the border thing, transition a little bit into the Democratic primary, vice versa, excuse me. But, um, you know, Carl Weathers passed away the other day. Uh, Former, you know, if you don't know, the former actor, he started in football. He was a linebacker for the Raiders. 
Once Upon a Time. Uh, obviously, everybody knows him from uh, Happy Gilmore and how he played Chubbs, the famous golfer who loses his hand uh, after an alligator bites it off and, and Happy wins. I mean, the whole, the whole sentence right there is crazy, but he was so good in that performance and obviously legendary as Apollo Creed and Rocky and some other things that he was in along the way. I remember him in, in Arrested Development. He was uh, Buster's um, acting coach or something like that. He paid him for a day. I, just such a good comedic actor. I just wanted to, as we were recording before and I was, you know, kind of killing some times, we were waiting for uh, you and Maya to hop on the podcast. I started seeing some Carl Weathers videos and I just wanted to shout him out because, you know, 70, I think he was 76, you know, obviously, you know, still a little too young uh, to be taken away from us too soon. And um, so anyway, I wanted to say that at the top because shout out to Carl Weathers and and everything that he did always made me laugh, man, off screen. Um, how are you doing, buddy? How's everything going your way? We're going to get into our, our stuff here. Uh, I can't wait for this final segment about LinkedIn post as we get into the happy stuff. But speaking of happy Gilmore, uh, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. You know, it's the universe is funny sometimes. Um, so Thursday, I think I told you all, loyal listeners and viewers, that I was going to go to a podcast recording. I didn't go into very much specifics, but I will here. So I was in Philadelphia Thursday night. There was a recording of the Rewatchables podcast by Bill Simmons and his friends over at The Ringer. You know, they were doing a uh, Cold City tour, you know, this winter. So Chicago, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, and then um, they ended in New York. So the Philly show, you know, every city... You know, it was based on a movie, right? Like every city had an appropriate movie that they used. Interestingly, the movie that was discussed when I was there on Thursday was Creed. So I'm there with a buddy, but now they've done this. They've done Creed before. They just basically re did a rehash of the con of of um of the movie. Great movie for anyone who's seen it. So you can imagine just that sort of splash of cold water, just that just complete stunned you know expression I had or looked I had or whatever, when like a day later, not even 12 hours, I think, I find out like the subject of the film, I mean, fictionally speaking, you know, Carl Weathers' character, you know, inspired that movie. And, you know, Stallone obviously talked about when he gave an announcement and shared, you know, how much Weathers meant to him. You know, it's funny because, you know, obviously, you know, Weathers was a Raider, he was a football player, an amazing actor, and a person who kept working. Like you can draw a through line that people, Mike and myself, our age, you know, we see Apollo Creed, right? But you ask my wife, and I show him, I show her a picture of Carl Weathers. She might well say Arrested Development. You show a picture to people, you know, slightly younger than us, and they may see Predator. The man was just all out there. And there's a great video clip. Of, there's a clip of him on the internet talking about, you know, wanting to be a movie star, but really wanting to be a working actor with the hope of eventually becoming that, not trying to swing for the fences, but con constantly working. And he was up until, you know, when he passed, that was his legacy. You know, every person I know has seen something or familiar with Carl Weathers. You can make an argument on a certain level that, you know, many of us have, you know, we're all familiar with the game Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Could I legitimately possibly do that with Carl Weathers? He's on the short list, actually. So anyway, I, I definitely had one of those moments where, um, yeah, part of my childhood kind of like just came right back at me. Like, I'm, you know, I remember the first four Rocky films. Um, you know, I thought about Predator. I thought about, you know, I'm, I'm deep enough as a his, you know, historian like Mike with the Raiders to remember that Carl Weathers was a member of the Silver and Black. And it, yeah, it stood out to me. This was one of those, you know, celebrity passings where it's like, yeah, there's a lot I know. And I remember, you know, Happy Gilmore as well. And it's just like all these different layers. We're talking comedy to the most action of action films. And every time he's on screen, Action Jackson too, by the way, he's just magnificent. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wanted to bring him up at the top. Like I said, I, I was I forgot that, um, you know, he had, I mean, I remember over the weekend that he had passed and then saw that as we were about to record and just wanted to shout him out because like you said, always made me laugh. Or he always made me say, man, that's good acting, you know, when he was on screen. So he definitely will be missed. All right, let's pivot here, Nick, into our first segment here, because um, a lot happening, uh, maybe some you didn't even notice. And we're going to get into two specific things. I want to touch briefly before we dive into uh, the Senate and, and this bipartisan uh, border bill that's probably dead on arrival as it goes into the House, because 
it's wild because it's an actual issue that Republicans and Democrats have been talking about. The media coverage and voters have been saying that it's probably the number one issue and it's immigration, yet this bill has no chance of passing. We're going to get into that in a second. But first, if you missed something that may have snuck in under the radar this past Saturday, maybe around 8.30 p.m. or so, and you're like, wait, when did this happen? Wait, what happened? Take a listen to this. It is official, and it probably has been for a couple minutes, but the checkmark means our decision desk has called the South Carolina Democratic primary for the incumbent president, Joe Biden. NBC News is projecting that he will win the South Carolina Democratic primary. You probably don't need me to tell you that with numbers like this. <laughs> but again, about 6% in statewide. You just see we will continue to get counties like this uh, on the board. And we'll, you know, I think at this point, it's just a question of margin. Steve Kornacki giving his best there as only at the time of what you just heard, 6% of the vote had been counted and he was up 11,900 to about 150. You heard that right. There's no extra zero there. 150 people at the time had voted for Marianne Williamson. The final tally, uh, 99% of the precincts reporting in right now, the Associated Press had called it, uh, I believe, later that evening. 55 delegates awarded to Joe Biden, 96% of the vote, about 130,000 folks or so voted in the primary in South Carolina that were registered Democrats. He got 126,000 of those votes. The other two candidates got about 5,000 combined. Nick, not too much to spend on this because incumbent president, the challenges of somebody in the Democratic side of the aisle unseating him is it, it, it rarely happens, folks. And Marianne Williamson, Dean Phillips, uh, have no shot, little to no shot, and little just left the room. So what do you make of finding out about this? The you know the networks really de- didn't devote too much to it because there's nothing to analyze. President Biden was expected to win this. It was all about, as Kornacki just said in that clip there, margin of victory over on MSNBC. You know, the, the biggest thing I would say is that, I mean, we, we've all talked about the fact that Trump is, you know, obviously the very likely nominee, right? And I mean, it's a foregone conclusion, just about as much so as Biden, and obviously as the incumbent, as the president, even more so, right? But the difference between these two candidates is that if this were Trump on Saturday, we'd all know the primary was on Saturday. His team does an amazing job, himself too, of promoting himself with every victory he has It's just this self-congratulation tour. Everyone on this show knows, or every listener, every viewer, you all know where I stand on Donald Trump. I'll give him this, though. Had this been about him on Saturday, I know he wins. Now, maybe that's a statement about, you know, the coverage of the former president. I really don't know. But I feel like he has an incredible ability to make you know where he is and what he's doing. And in many ways, this is a microcosm for the failure of the Biden administration, because sure, of course, Biden is going to win, but you celebrate the shit out of that, right? Like you, you make a, you make a thing about the fact that these folks, you know, came out, supported you again, and you just, you want to stress to everyone that like, you're like, this is happening. We're here, you know, we're going to keep marching on. And it was just a missed opportunity. I'm I consider myself one of you know politically in tune people. I have to for the sake of this show. But in general, Mike and I always have topical conversations about politics, um, even before the show began. And I th- it's very telling to me that the Democrats and the Biden administration just took this W and kept it moving. And I feel like he needs to carry the kind of momentum that Trump obviously would have. You know, it's such a great point the way you said it, because and by the way, welcome to, you know, being able to fairly talk about the former president. Again, neither of us like him, voted for him. That's not our goal to get you to vote for him or like him. But you can tell when somebody's a better marketer and promoter of themselves. And again, in fairness to Trump, I can't believe I just said that sentence, but this is what he does for a business. He licenses his name and he and he gets companies to market and promote based off his name appearing at the top of the hotel, at the top of the golf course, the top of whatever it is. So he's built a business empire on that. He knows how to market and promote himself. You know, President Biden, I saw something that 
the Super Bowl is coming up, and we we made a joke about it earlier with with Rich and the team breaking it down. And uh, President Biden declined the Super Bowl interview with CBS uh, just before kickoff, which uh, you know is pretty standard for a president to do. He hasn't done it the last two times the Super Bowl's been around, uh, and I think it was because one was on Fox with Fox Sports, and then the other one was now t- this one's going to be on CBS, so he'd be doing it with the CBS News team. And he's declined it. That's a huge audience right there. Promote yourself, market yourself to Nick's point. And we're going to get into a little bit uh, with Maya about the marketing and promotion of the Democratic message and what is happening with President Biden's administration. But I just want to touch on that at the beginning of our segment here, because you didn't even know that the primary was happening on the Democratic side because they shifted the calendar to have South Carolina go first. It fall. It fell on a Saturday. Right. Which is, I mean, a perfect time for people to be able to go out there and vote lower turnout this year than in previous. But again, incumbent president. I mean, we all know that it's a foregone conclusion. He's going to win just given uh, the numbers that came in and also the TV networks calling it within 16 minutes of Kornacki setting up his coffee uh, as he wasn't going to have that long of an evening to break this all down. So we leave it there. And in the next segment, Maya is going to break down everything that happened on the ground in South Carolina and what President Biden does need to do to kind of message a little bit more about these victories. Let's get into something that the president would like to champion and get a victory notched under his belt before November. And that is this recent uh, bipartisan bill on on the border that has been introduced by Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma. Uh, You got Chris Murphy from Connecticut, and then you have the bane to everyone's existence in Kirsten Sinema, who's now an independent in Arizona. And these three reached a bipartisan agreement They put a framework for this bill, $118 billion. It includes a series of provisions aimed at reducing all of the record high crossings that Nick and I have talked about in previous episodes. And by the way, while we're on the subject real quick, before I play a clip from from, uh, Senator Lankford about the bill, I did want to note one thing. When In our last episode, when we talked about the border, Nick, you and I, I want to make a correction because the numbers I gave you for January about the amount of enforcements. Again, this is uh, at legal points of entry uh, and the border actually encountering somebody or the uh, the field office encountering somebody. I gave the numbers. They are high because they go, CBP goes in terms of reporting numbers by fiscal year. Their fiscal year is October to September. So the numbers were high because it was October, November, December, and a little bit of January's data in those numbers. So that's why those numbers are high. So the average is probably around, you know, 8,200 folks that are being encountered on a daily basis right now in the fiscal 24, based on their numbers, 8,200 folks a day is a lot, 247,000 a month. If you, you know, times that by 30 or however many days are in the calendar for that month, that's a lot of people. But I just want to give a quick correction on that number. Either way, this bill which would be a win for President Biden to be able to get this out the door. It's got bipartisan support. And like I said, it helps to reduce record high crossings at the border. It also helps the agencies, Custom Border Patrol and Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency in terms of hiring more people at the border. And all we've heard also gives emergency authority for the president and DHS to kind of shut it down. If more than 8,500 people are encountered in a single day, it does a bunch for uh, repatriation flights. Uh, it does a lot for federal supervision so that folks, as they complete their asylum interviews, and if they pass those interviews, they get work permits or they get sent back to their country of origin. It does a lot uh, that Republicans and Democrats want to see done at the border. But for some reason, this bill not may not make it to the second chamber of Congress, Nick, because Uh, House Speaker Mike Johnson has already said that this bill in its current form is dead on arrival. Representative Steve Scalise has said that this bill allows 5,000 people a day to come in to the country illegally. That's not what this bill does. I want you to take a listen to Representative, uh, excuse me, Senator James Langford. He was on Fox and Friends with Brian Kilmeade, and he was asked about the reaction by members of his own party in the House to this bill. Take a listen. Here's what uh, Speaker Johnson said. I have seen enough. This bill is even worse than we expected. It won't come close to any of the border catastrophe the president has created. As the lead Democrat negotiator proclaimed, under this legislation, the border never closes. If this bill reaches the House, it will be dead on arrival. 
your thoughts? Yeah, un unfortunately, he would step out and be able to see that right away before, obviously, he had had a chance to be able to read it as well and to be able to go through it. The key aspect of this, again, is are we as Republicans going to have press conferences and complain the border's bad and then intentionally leave it open? After the worst month in American history in December, now we've got to actually determine, are we going to just complain about things or are we going to actually address and to change as many things as we can? Nick. I read for you before about some of the things that this bill does, and it really does mandate detaining migrants who try to enter the U.S. outside of official ports of entry, pending obviously any asylum claims that they have. Those that would fail would, would be removed from that. It ends the practice of catch and release, which is something Democrats have want uh, to, to have done. Uh, obviously, I mentioned about the flights, 77 repatriation flights per day. I mean, there's a lot here and compromise, as President Biden said when he was running for the highest office in the land, compromise is when no, nobody gets what they want. This seems like it's compromise. And you heard one of the most conservative folks in the Senate, Representative James Langford from Oklahoma, say, are we going to do something about it? Here is a solution. We came to an agreement on this. Why can't we get this passed? What says Nick Saveri? Yeah, I mean, I've I've said for a while. I think that House Republicans, especially you know, on the far right, tend to be immature about this. And and I think the timing of this, along with the former president saying that, um, had already been critical. And it really shows the influence that the former president has had on on especially the House. Um, I'm always a fan of bipartisanship, and to see it play out in the Senate was a wonderful thing. And the fact that you have people that are, you know, I mean, that they're ready to move forward. And you even saw, you know, the former, you know, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell talk about, you know, the need for this. And and the fact that Mike Johnson would come forward and say that this is, quote unquote, dead on arrival, it tells you that it tells you the fix is in. Basically, it just tells you that regardless of how good a bill this may be, this is something that House Republicans will not let pass. And I think that this is a campaign issue that the Democrats need to run on is the fact that they, you know, they're trying to actually have something done and you're not getting any type of there's nothing coming back from from Republicans. So if this doesn't become if this doesn't pass or we have no traction with immigration, you know, I mean, voters should understand at least the, at least the Democrats should message on the fact that that you're you're not there's no momentum that this is not happening but republicans will come forward and say that well this is a you know a dead issue or not a dead issue but you know they'll come forward and talk about the fact that well the president has not done something and biden hopefully to his credit because i do think he's a better messenger than the party sometimes will say that we tried to do something you know we had republican support in the senate take that up with the house right it is true they do have the votes right now, potentially in the Senate, it all depends on the filibuster and stuff like that. I mean, there are some folks in the Senate that are saying they would not potentially vote for this. We actually have a Texas uh, representative in the House that's coming on the show uh, in, in a couple of episodes uh, from now that we're going to ask about. And they're in a district, again, Texas, you know, right on the border, hearing it from constituents. So I'm curious to hear what that representative is going to say. But like you said, I mean, the biggest thing to me right now is the country has shown us time and time again that we want split government. We've seen this during the Trump administration. We've seen it under the Biden administration. House uh, back for Republicans. The Senate is for Democrats. Under Trump, it was flipped. And so that means that voters are telling us that they want these two parties to get along and do something. And again, I mentioned this uh, earlier on a segment on NTD News that you can go check out on LeonMediaNetwork.com, Senator James Langford is one of the most conservative members of both chambers of Congress that I can think of. He's as conservative as the day is long. He knows, especially for a state that is right above Texas, he knows that his constituents are definitely telling him, we want something done on immigration. Okay, so what does he do? He gets with a representative from a border state who's an independent, and Chris Murphy, who's one of the best negotiators out there on legislation, and has a really good track record in the Senate. They come together on this bill that will help with some Ukraine funding that will provide $118 billion, like I mentioned in this bill, new hires for the agency, emergency authority for the president. It allocates things that Republicans have been championing on about sending folks back. 
it allocates funding for that and he can't even get it past the house what are we doing here i don't understand this and senator uh chuck schumer said that potentially he may not put this up for a floor vote we're going to monitor it we're going to follow it over the next couple of days to see what nets out with this bill if it morphs into something else but right now it looks like it's at a stalemate we leave it there when we come back after the break new york times politics reporter Maya King's going to be joining us, speaking of that primary that happened that nobody heard about or nobody saw. Maya was there on the ground. She's going to tell us all about it when she comes back after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Nick, today's episode is presented, as always, by our friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, their passion has always been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world, roasted fresh to order. I got my coffee snob here, Nick Saveri. Nick, tell these people, coffee snob it up here. Tell these people why Fresh Roasted Coffee is so good and why they're the official sponsor of Can We Please Talk. You know, often the best cup of coffee that you're ever going to have is the one you can you can make from home. And you need good quality coffee to do that. And that's what Fresh Roasted Coffee offers. You know, between single origin, between blends, flavors, anything on the coffee spectrum they've got. But more importantly, and I can't stress this enough, often when you purchase coffee, you don't know where to start. I mean, there's so many different varieties, so many different opportunities, so many different things you could choose from. And Fresh Roasted Coffee just gives you a very simple questionnaire and just says, hey, figure out what your cup, what your coffee cup is. Figure out what blend works for you. I've gotten some single origin recommendations, so is Mike, and that's influenced everything. And what they recommend, you can get in a Keurig cup, the way Mike takes it. You can take it in the way I do it, which is typically through a French press, or you can get it for a percolator. Whatever coffee machine you've got, they've got you covered. But more importantly, just a huge variety and a way to learn more about coffee itself. And all of this is available at freshroastedcoffee.com on their site. One cup is all it takes to fall in love with fresh roasted coffee, but you get a discount for being a listener of Can We Please Talk. Enter in the promo code Can We Please Get 20 to get 20% off your first purchase. Head to freshroastedcoffee.com today. This episode is presented by the good folks over at Nerd Focus, new energy drink sponsor on the show, Nick. Let me ask you a quick question. Do you lack focus and concentration, motivation? Do you need something to boost your stamina and strength? I do. You know, coffee coffee isn't enough, so I'm always looking for other options. Well, I got something for you, Nick, that's going to boost your stamina and strength. It's going to enhance your focus and concentration. We're going to ramp up your motivation. We're going to provide alertness and stimulation. We're going to even improve your mood, Nick, which a lot of people on this on the comments are going to be happy with. I got the original Think Drink infused with powerful nootropics, performance-boosting nutrients, Click the link in our show notes right now to get a special offer on Nerd Focus beverages for being a Can We Please Talk listener. Nerd Focus, there's a nerd in everyone. All right, kind enough to join us traveling all over the place from Iowa to South Carolina. The New York Times has got it going everywhere, Nick. She's a fantastic politics reporter over there. Maya King joins us. Maya, Mike, and Nick, thanks for hopping on the pod again. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back. You know, Maya, in all seriousness, you have been traveling everywhere. You've been talking to Republican voters, Democratic voters. I want to get into a bunch of it with you and, and some of your stops, what you're hearing from voters and some of their issues. Who are they focused on candidate wise? But let's start first with the most recent thing, which we were talking about a little bit in our first segment. We teased you 
which is the South Carolina primary. I mean, it flew under the radar. For people that don't know, the Democratic primary was this past Saturday, depending upon when you're watching or listening to this. Uh, President Biden won overwhelmingly. What do we make of it? What did you make of it as you were covering it on the ground? Yes, you're right. It was a very sleepy primary. Um, The first thing we were all looking at was turnout. So the Biden campaign had made very clear that South Carolina was going to be the real first officially recognized primary. Um, For context, South Carolina was moved to the front of the line. Um, Democrats voted to, or really spearheaded by President Biden, to put South Carolina first in the nation for the first time and give Black voters specifically um, a larger platform in uh, deciding who they want to be the president of the United States. But as we also know, this was a very uncompetitive primary. Biden was running against Dean Phillips of Minnesota, who was really introducing himself to the rest of the country for the first time um, in South Carolina for the last two weeks. And Marianne Williamson, the author, self-help expert who has run for president before, but again, this really didn't register. So it was kind of a given going into the primary that Biden was going to win and was going to win overwhelmingly. And so the questions that we were asking leading up to primary night were, what is a target number of people that you would like to see turn out, that Democrats would like to see turn out, that would show some real momentum and real enthusiasm for Biden on the ground? And few Democrats were really willing to weigh in there and give us sort of a ballpark number. Um, Right now, uh, checking the South Carolina Elections Commission site, I think turnout rounded out at around 150, um, which is, you know, for a presidential primary year, not very high, but for an uncontested, largely uncontested presidential primary, you know, not awful either. And a majority of those voters, of those Democratic voters, were Black voters. I don't know at this point you know, how much more we can say in terms of, um, you know, extrapolating Black enthusiasm um, or saying anything really definitive about how Black voters writ large feel about Biden um, based solely off of the South Carolina results. But I do think the message that Democrats um, paraded really throughout South Carolina for the last few weeks will be um, on display in other predominantly Black cities uh, throughout this presidential campaign now as it kicks into general election mode. Recently, you'd also had posted some something about in terms of you know, Black members of the church, you know, Black preachers that had talked about you know, their misgivings with the Biden administration, particularly as it related to um, the the request for a ceasefire, the, the push for a ceasefire within the church that the Biden administration has not, has not responded to. You know, considering the turnout you saw, what you're speaking to in terms of, you know, the black voter enthusiasm, at least just against measured against South Carolina. What's your read currently of where of where the president's sitting with voters? You know, we did some polling at the Times late last year that showed some real dips in enthusiasm among black voters. And I think that it might have ticked up just a bit, particularly as um, black voters who might have considered staying home or starting to see some of the rhetoric coming from uh, former President Trump and other Republicans that has heavy leans into race and xenophobia. Um, you know, a number of Black voters who were a little bit reticent about voting for Biden again are saying, well, I'm considering the alternative. Um, but as it relates to this, the calls for a ceasefire in the war between Israel and Hamas, there is this really interesting trend that I'm observing, which is a lot of uh, Black voters, maybe otherwise moderate Democrats, now looking at the images of, of death and destruction in Gaza and um, seeing the role that America has played, that Biden has played in uh, helping fund Israel's war against Hamas. You know, they condemn, of course, the attacks on October 7th. Um, but again, looking at what's happening in Gaza, kind of really just dismayed and really disappointed, I think, um, in President Biden. And so that could be a problem for him heading into November, depending on what happens or continues to happen, really, in the Middle East right now. 
Yeah, it's a good point because there's looks like there's no end in sight. We don't even know about the hostages and when they're going to be coming back. There's negotiations on that front. I did want to pivot real quick. Let's pivot to the other party, the other political party in this country. And we're going to get to the third party candidates, too, because I know you've been talking a little bit about those folks as well. But you were in Iowa. I mentioned it before, as I was kidding, as you've been making the circuits of all these different states and racking up the uh, Delta Airlines miles, maybe. I don't know if Delta oh, flies yeah. to Iowa. Oh, yeah. but, I Delta thought, and Marriott points. Okay. All right. Perfect. <laughs> and Marriott points. Right. So tell me a little bit about the Iowa caucus was, you know, it feels like forever ago. And obviously the, the networks were calling it, you know, within 20 minutes of the doors closing for President Trump, as you were on the ground there in Iowa, and you're talking to voters and stuff like that, what was some of the sense that you were getting? Obviously, things have changed now because Ron DeSantis is no longer in the race. Nikki Haley, it's a two-person race for all intent and purpose. But like, what were some of the things that you were hearing from voters there on the ground in Iowa about the former president? Would they vote for him in the general? Like, What were some things that were shaking out there as you were talking to Republican voters? Yeah, you know, the Republican Party right now, I would say, is pretty fragmented. So there is a strong kind of unwavering base of voters in the GOP who are all in for President Trump, who see the indictments um, and the charges against him as political persecution, who believe him when he says, I'm fighting for you and look at what they're doing to me. So imagine what they'll do when they get to you, who see him as a a firewall against uh, partisan government um, persecution. Uh, But there are also a lot of Republican voters who do not want to see Trump run again, who disagree with not only his rhetoric, but his criminal record now that's been established and feel like, um, you know, a general election, he won't win. I think at the end of the day, that is really what is motivating all Republicans right now is winning and it's winning the presidency and uh, and defeating defeating Democrats, owning the libs, as it were. Um, and they're also, so when I was in Iowa, I spent caucus night um, in Grinnell, which is a college town about 40 miles away from Des Moines. And the college students were actually out of town, so I didn't get a good sense of like the college, you know, young Republican vote. But there were a lot of older folks there. Um, and, you know, caucuses are really almost like um, neighborhood commission meetings. Everyone knows everyone. You're split into different groups according to your neighborhood. So it's like a very close-knit um, community in each caucus and people know each other and um, may not necessarily know how each other votes, but they recognize each other. And at this particular site, um, if I remember correctly, Trump won, but not by very much. Ron DeSantis was a very close second and Nikki Haley wasn't far behind him either. And I spoke to a number of people who were just saying like, I don't want him. I don't want Trump to run again. I really don't. I don't. I would vote for anybody but him. And then I, of course, follow up and say, "Well, what happens if he does win the party's nomination? Would you vote for him in a general election?" And most folks I talked to said, "Yeah, I'll hold my nose and vote for Trump again because they want just they want their person to win, and because they really, really have sense a very strong um, animus towards towards President Biden from from Republicans too." So. You know, to that point about animus, part of that seems to come from concerns about the economy. You know, we've seen polling that talks about you know that Trump's numbers can be favorable in terms of an economic turnaround. That said, though, you know, recent jobs report we're looking at over three hundred thousand jobs added, which is far exceeding a lot of expectations. What is it about Democrats or their messaging, particularly, that the economy continues to do better? The Biden administration seems to be on an uptick, and I'm measuring this against the jobs report even against the stock market. But that doesn't seem to be sort of poking into the narrative that voters are down on the president with the current state of affairs in terms of the economy. Yeah, you know, my colleagues a couple of weeks ago wrote this story about the vibe session. And I thought that was just the perfect way to describe (laughs) kind of how a lot of voters are feeling right now is that, yes, the economy might be doing better, is doing better by nearly all metrics, but people don't really feel it. Um, and, And I think it's just sunk in that people don't really feel it. Groceries are still pretty expensive. Gas is still pretty expensive. There's still a general sense of malaise out there. Um, but I will say the Biden campaign, to its credit, is now getting out ahead of that feeling. Well, I won't say getting out ahead of it, but is, is acknowledging that that feeling is out there um, and is really trying to underline you know, all of these other metrics that show 
the economy is actually pretty healthy. And, um, you know, the one thing that Democrats and allies of, of Biden are repeating over and over um, right now is that, you know, here we are in February, we have about nine months until the presidential election, a lot can change um, and people's feelings can change too. So if the economy continues at its current pace, you know, there is a very, very real chance that that starts to think in the minds of voters, oh, this is actually, you know, I do have a job and prices are coming, starting to come down. And, you know, there. I don't know if they'll go so far as to say, you know, this is a thank you Biden moment, but perhaps. I always love when people say, you know, oh, damn you, Trump, or damn you, Biden, when they look at gas prices and stuff like that. It always makes me laugh about voters. This is why we have you on, Maya. So let's talk about two groups of voters that you and I happen to be a part of, Blacks and Latinos. Okay, let's talk about these groups, because I saw a recent uh, Roper Center poll that said Biden now is is claiming about 63 percent of Black voters nationwide. And it's down from like 87 percent, and he trails by five percentage points uh, according to the Hispanic voters that have been surveyed for some of this stuff. So it's very intriguing because right now everybody's overanalyzing things. It's so early. There's not that much to talk about. We're kind of in this February swoon where, you know, there's only three primaries, you know, one's already probably done in Nevada coming up with how that's split up. So there's not much to talk about and everybody's looking towards this general election as, as we move towards November, what does President Biden or even President Trump, what do each of them have to do to uh, both of these groups of voters to say that they're the candidate for them? What is it that you're hearing from from voters, people in your family? I'm hearing it from people in my family, trust me. And we've talked about it ad nauseum on this show, some of it nonsensical. But like, what what is it that you feel that both of these gentlemen need to do? Or even Nikki Haley, if she's able to somehow win one of these primaries, what are they saying to blacks and Latinos to get them to vote for them in November? Yeah, it's a big question. Um, I think we have to do a number of things. I'll start there. Uh, Biden and Democrats used South Carolina as a real proving ground uh, for in terms of their message to Black voters. So Biden was in South Carolina. He visited twice. Harris, Vice President Harris, visited three times. The First Lady was there a few times. Second gentleman came too. Of course, DNC Chair Jamie Harrison is from South Carolina. So he just went home and never really left. Um, and all of these big name national Democrats were on the ground in South Carolina for over a month, nonstop, talking about policies that directly related to black voters, directly challenging a lot of the, um, you know, top line issues that black voters have mentioned, things like student loan debt, um, you know, delivery on voting rights legislation, um, delivery on just affordability in the economy, uh, you know, a number of metrics like Black unemployment being on record, being at record lows, funding for HBCUs, like they just went through this heavily black state and really pushed, pushed this message. And like I said at the top of the show, I think we can expect to see that um, repeat itself in in many other states. Now, I think Trump's argument, um, honestly, right now, he doesn't really seem to have much of an argument or a message for black or Latino or Asian no, you know, any real voters of color. Um, he has surrogates who, who seem to be very confident in his um, prospects with, with voters of color. People like Tim Scott, you know, a Black Republican from South Carolina who has been very vocally supportive of the former president and who I think has marketed himself as a potential top surrogate, possibly a vice presidential candidate who could appeal to um, Black men. Because one thing, and I wonder if you've seen this, is um, the gender gap, you know, that really exists across race, but it's pretty pronounced, I think, among Black and Latino voters, where, um, you know, men in particular are really more interested in supporting uh, Republicans. So that's one thing that I think will be interesting to watch is if Black men indeed do show some real proclivities towards voting for Trump, um, I think their argument is more economic, but we could have a whole episode all about all about this, the Black and Latino vote. And I'll say one more thing, sorry, just one thing, which is that, you know, we have to kind of say at the top, right, Black and Latino voters are not monolithic, neither group is monolithic, and there's so much diversity um, within the left, the 
Latino community. There is not one single Latino community. There are multiple, you know, from different countries and just totally different experiences. Black Americans, I think, are are we are also we also have a lot of different backgrounds and come from a lot of different places. Yes, that informs our voting behavior, but repeatedly, you know, we have voted for Democrats upwards of eighty to ninety percent. And um, you know, I've talked to other experts in my reporting and just folks who are who really study and pollsters who study black voting behavior, who have said, well, black Americans are also united in one sort of universal experience, which is how black folks actually arrived in this country, and of course how they were treated, which makes their vote for Democrats feel a lot more like a survival vote, which is why I think you see such big groups of of, of black voters um, going for Democrats. But that's also why it's so interesting that. We're starting to see some fragmentation there, too. Uh, Maya, you were talking about, you mentioned some of the third party candidates, um, or at least, well, the Democrats, obviously, these are people within the party. But, you know, when we look at, you know, the folks like Jill Stein, now Robert F. Kennedy I, I, Jr. has been listed as an independent I've seen now. So what's the, this doesn't seem to be a Ralph Nader 2000 thing. Like it doesn't seem like there is no third party candidate who's really galvanizing people. Cornell West, you know, another person I don't want to leave off the list. But what's been your sense of because you mentioned the enthusiasm in South Carolina, and obviously, you know, this is the president now. This is not a candidate. Um, but with regards to like third party energy, because there definitely is a vote, a sense of voter apathy. I think every measure we've seen points to that. Um but what's your feeling about third about the third party? Like, what sense are you getting that people potentially may explore any other option? Or, you know, I really leave it to the reporting of others on this because it is very interesting. But there's we just really don't know what will happen there. Um, you know, there was a lot of freak out from Democrats in particular over the no labels possibility that someone like um, Joe Manchin or or Larry Hogan or another like you know, kind of pop uh, another nap, another Republican or or in, in Manchin's case, Democrat, a figure that has a lot of broad appeal with both parties might actually really hurt um, Biden. But, you know, honestly, I think the universal takeaway from this third party fervor and just the kind of attention that we're paying to it is it's another reflection of how much this is an election. This is a rematch that nobody really wants. Um, Democrat or Republican, a majority of voters really didn't want to see Biden and Trump run against each other again and watch the spectacle of like two old white guys yell at each other over a lot of the same things when there are real crises at work. And I think that the third party appeal um, is for folks who say, you know, neither one. And that could be that could be a lot of people. And we don't really know who that hurts more right now. That's a great point there, Maya. Um, before we let you go, you know, you do such great work. And I was mentioning before your, your travel mileage, but also if you go to the New York Times website to just look up Maya King, you're going to see like 11 articles, like in a matter of 48 hours. So you've been writing your you know what off. And so I want to ask you before we let you go, obviously, everybody's North Star is kind of, you know, the election in 2024. But what are some things that you're focused on right now covering as I mentioned is kind of we're in a little bit of like a dead period right now in February with respect to the primaries. But what are some things that are on your horizon as we get to Super Tuesday and later on into the primaries, and the RNC? What are some things that you're covering over at the Times? Well, I'm really interested in stories. I continue to be interested in stories about voters and the coalitions that Democrats and Republicans are building. So I hope to have more stories for you about really how Black voters are feeling, how young voters are feeling also. Um, I live in Atlanta and it is a sprawling, you know, suburban metropolis now. The Atlanta suburbs is kind of its own universe outside of the city of Atlanta. And so I'm hoping to really spend a lot of time in those suburbs and, and redefine what, we, what it means and what we think of when we say, you know, suburban women or suburban men. Because um, I think that's a lot of different backgrounds and statuses, so I'm I'm excited about that. And then outside of the presidential race, I'll have my eyes on the North Carolina governor's race. Um, it's looking like it's going to be an interesting one. I think Democrats will invest there. So that's what I got for now. We'll see. I think anything could happen. <laughs> I can say all that, and then right. Anything can happen. That may be the title of the episode. That may be the actual title of the episode, Nick. Maya does a great job. Please follow her on social media. Check out all of her work over at thenewyorktimes.com. She's a fantastic politics reporter. Maya, thanks for giving us a couple minutes. Continue success. Stay safe. All the traveling. Please be safe. 
I will. Thank you for having me again. It was great to be back on. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. All right, our thank yous there to Maya King, politics reporter over at the New York Times. Like I mentioned, go check out her work. She is fantastic. Love having her on. Okay, our final segment here, we tease it at the top. To LinkedIn or to not LinkedIn. Recently, me and one of my friends, shout out to my friend Lakia over at Bleacher Report, her and I have been texting back and forth. And Nick and I do text, obviously, about this as well. But we've been noticing a rising trend of what is happening with one of the most popular business platforms out there. And that's LinkedIn. For those of you that don't have a LinkedIn account, LinkedIn, let me read you what they're about and their mission statement. Their mission statement is to create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce. LinkedIn's mission is real simple. Connect the world's most professional folks to make them more productive and successful. Connect the world's professionals, make them more productive and successful. You got that, Nick? Because it's not that hard. But what I've been noticing, what Nick's been noticing, and what our friend Lakia has been noticing, is that folks are using it as this pseudo Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, get your thoughts out there. And it's not really linking me or showing me any professionalism. And we're going to decide tonight if you would LinkedIn or not LinkedIn the following thing. So if you're listening on audio, we're going to read for you what the post looks like. If you if you don't have uh, if you're not subscribed, excuse me, to our YouTube channel, head over to uh, YouTube, type in Can We Please Talk Podcast, hit subscribe first. Second, watch the video there because you're going to see what these actually LinkedIn posts are. These are from real people. We've taken out the names and we've made sure that we've kind of removed stuff so it doesn't really throw them under the bus. But this is things that we've accumulated. So I got four examples here for you, Nick. We're going to give a take each and you tell me whether or not you recommend to link this in or to not link it in, to quote the great Jake. so much joy. And I it, it's a lot of joy. I've fought listeners, viewers. I fought so hard for this segment. <laughs> this is truly for you all. This it's is going to be fun, and I'm so here for it. Let's go. It's true. It's true. This is Nick's brainchild. He's been thinking about this for weeks to do this. Okay. The first one is a picture of a dog. Now, remember, what did I just say before? LinkedIn is connecting the world's professionals. So it's like it's like your job. You're posting about your job. It's a picture of a dog, and it says, Florence is braving the cold weather and snow today, but what she is warming up is to me finding a career opportunity in talent acquisition in the new year. Smiley face emoji. As budgets are being approved and headcounts are being granted, I want to take a brief moment to reiterate that I am on the market seeking a new role within talent acquisition. I appreciate all the efforts and assistance from all of you who have kept me in mind. As a reward, you will have my appreciation and gratitude and will be sent cookies from my favorite spot. Thank you in advance. Nick, a picture of a dog. You're telling me you lost your job. Would you link this in or would you not link this in? Hell no. This yeah, <laughs> I knew Mike was gonna crack up there. No, folks. First off, let's talk about when you're posting anything on social, especially when there's a combination of text and picture. The picture is what draws people in all the time. This text is just this big paragraph, no indentation, no links to anything. You know, I saw a reference to FTE, which I'm assuming means full time employee. So stop with the the acronyms, please. And I see a picture of a cute dog. I like the dog. I think the dog's wearing. Uh, some kind of coat or something. Yeah, it's a snow coat, looks like. Yeah, it's a handsome dog. But this does nothing for me. If you're start, and first off, in LinkedIn, there is a button you can press like to your icon that says like open to work. I have a friend of mine who just recently got a job over at some tech company. I'm super excited for him. And throughout the process, he would just say, Hey, looking for work and put his stuff out there. Folks, it's gotta be like short sentences, you know, like professionalism, as Mike said. But yeah, you know, I, I read this and like Cute dog. That paragraph is just like for me. I, I can't. No, I'm out. I'm no. Do not link it. Well, I I also agree with you. I would not link this in. I think this is wild. Well, first off, 
I'm very not leery, but like I myself, you know, having been unemployed, I would not post that like I'm looking for something first off, like I would just search for something. That's what LinkedIn to me is for. That's why there's a jobs button and you can click on it and search for jobs. Right. And like you said, you can put an icon that says you're open to work. The problem I have is posting a picture of your dog is reserved for Instagram. It's reserved for any other social media platform, a picture of your dog. And then this long, long, long Jesus-like parable of text telling me that you are open to work. And I have to read that at the bottom and I get cookies and I got the picture of the dog in snow. You should not be linking this in. That's just my opinion. Okay. Let's go to the second one, Nick, because they get progressively worse. Okay. This one is, is terrible. And it's terrible because the person is sick and they're letting us know that they're sick. So I'm going to read it here. You can see it on our YouTube channel. I tested positive with COVID yesterday. Getting sick as an employee at a company wasn't fun, of course, but knowing that I was on salary and could just take a PTO day was comforting. Plus, it was always appreciated having a manager who would help delegate work and task. Getting sick as a business owner, it's hitting different. My mind starts conjuring, disempowering thoughts. What am I going to do? What if I don't work? I don't get paid. I'm mad at my body for getting sick. Well, I'm mad at this for reading this. How am I going to juggle tasks when I feel this awful? I'm useless when I'm sick. Despite having these empowering thoughts and emotions, I remind myself that I have the power to choose empowering thoughts. Thank you to Tony Robbins and Robbins Medane's training program who taught me so much. So I challenge myself to reframe the disempowering thoughts. And then there's a bunch of emojis that says, don't be mad at my body for getting sick. Um, etc. This is a long, long post. Nick, this is wild. I think we already know how both of us feel as we shake our heads here, but to LinkedIn or not to LinkedIn, would you link this in my friend? First off, I realize we're recording this live, obviously, so I can't go run and get my phone, and get a sound effect because, and I'll just tease this out for you viewers. There's going to be probably somewhere I need to find this, a very short clip of former head coach Herman Edwards, which by the way, if you ever ask Mike, and you have to, we're not just going to have him do this. I want you people to ask him as a comment to the show, email the show. If you press him enough, he'll give you a fantastic impression of former head coach of the New York Jets and Kansas City Chiefs, Herman Edwards and Arizona State. Anyway, but he used to have a very quick clip that would just say, don't press send," and his own way of saying it. And that's what I saw when I saw this. The answer is, of course, to not link this in. I feel sorry that she caught COVID. It sucks. Folks, COVID's still real, get vaccinated. That being said, in any post on LinkedIn, if you're trying to promote yourself, the idea here is maybe there's links. Maybe I can learn from this, right? If you want to post something inspirational, awesome, fantastic. But but you got to be brief. This narrative about I caught it, you know, I, I got COVID. I'm a business owner, not an employer. Like, who cares? You got COVID. You know what you should be doing when you have COVID? Resting. Right. <laughs> keys away tells me that you clearly have enough energy to exert yourself and try to and also when you tag tony robbins do you really think you know tony robbins is sitting there just banging away the like buttons what does that do for you this is a professional platform are you using this to try to further your career fantastic i got news for you i don't think tony robbins is going to do that for you even tagging his company like, are you trying to get a job there? Because it's not going to work. I've heard enough Tony Robbins, you know, ad, or ads or whatever. By the way, fun fact, he sounds an awful lot like Andrew Luck. Look it up. This does nothing for him. This does nothing for you. Do not LinkedIn. Don't even press send. Like, if this thought comes to you, hey, I'm going to write about myself dealing with COVID and this way I'm going to write this on behalf of all of us, don't press send. Agreed. Go to you. No, I mean, there's there's no follow up because, again, let me just read one more time, folks, the mission of LinkedIn. It's real simple. It literally says this on the about page about LinkedIn. Connect the world's professionals to make them more productive and successful. Again, to Nick's point, you're sick. You're not feeling well. I, I feel bad for you. To Nick's point, you know, go consult your doctor. Okay. Why are you posting that on LinkedIn? We don't need to know that you were sick and you persevered. I, you should be resting to Nick's point. I would not LinkedIn in. 
I don't even know if that sentence made sense. Do not LinkedIn. Don't hit send to Nick's point. All right, Nick, like I said, these get progressively worse and get ready because the third one's going to be a doozy. You may need a tissue to cry over this because this one is actually pretty sad. But again, to link it in or to not link it in. Remember what I said, professionals. So take a listen. Yesterday marked eight years since the death of my father. Dad spent a lifetime working blue-collar jobs, cab driver, coffee delivery man, Drake Cakes delivery man. You get the picture. He always told me, I don't want you to do what I did. I want you to be a pencil pusher in an office somewhere. I can't believe he said that to his son. Anyway, I did that. And for years, I had an office overlooking Bryant Park with a fantastic view of the Empire State. Dad was proud. He never saw me unemployed as an adult. Hopefully, my next job would make him proud, too. There's a scrappiness to those of us raised blue-collar. There's a work ethic that's soldiered onto our DNA. You break into an industry without any connections, you have to fight for everything you get. I'll be doing this at my next gig too, whatever that is, because I'm still my father's son. So a little quick aside, Nick, are we linking this in? Are we not linking it in? Again, death in the family. I'm out of a job equating both of these. Why are we linking this in to LinkedIn or not to LinkedIn? Nick Savary, without laughing, please. First off, we're keeping this segment. I don't care, viewers, if you don't like it or not. Mike and I are absolutely enjoying this. Now, on a serious note, though, as I read this, of the three, surprisingly, that we've seen so far, this is the closest that I would consider. And here's why. There's something inspirational with this idea that you know I learned something from my parents, and it's inspired me for what I'm doing today. Now, the fact that your father said be a pencil pusher, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you folks. I'd rather be a Drake's cake delivery person than simply pushing a pencil. And I mean that, like, yes, and I send that bunch of emails, phone calls, I do all kinds of communication stuff, but I feel this purpose in it. I enjoy what I do. But I don't know, I wouldn't downplay those blue-collar jobs your father had, and even that he did it himself. But I understand what his point is. The question I'm going to ask here is, because it looks like the lead at the very bottom, which is totally buried here, is that it sounds like he's unemployed because he's looking to do it at his next gig, right? So he's obviously between jobs. I wish he had led with that and just say, listen, I'm open to work and I'm thinking a lot about my father lately. Cool, fine. But this is far too lengthy. I I can't make jokes about this because obviously we're talking about someone's you know father passing. But at the same time, I love the I love the inspiration here. I love where he's coming from, the writer of this. Um, but I just like you got to land the plane here. Like if if you're trying to say that you want to parlay this energy into your next gig, awesome. But we got to get to the point a little bit faster. And again, folks, simply just having the badge that says "open to work" is enough. Truly, I mean, my you know our talent and development person's always looking out for that most companies if they see that badge they are kind of curious and they'll go into your profile what they won't do by the way is look at this individual post it's not enough if you say you're up in the work the first thing a hiring manager is going to do is they're going to click on your your profile and see more which is to say you got to make sure that everything that's on your profile all your posts are things about the work that you're doing you know things you can put out there short and sweet and tells people very clearly what you are and what you're all about you know, it's tough for me, this one, because like you you just said it perfectly at the beginning there, like this one is the toughest, right? Because of the emotional part of this at the beginning. But like you said, you bury the lead at the end about being open to work. Now, the cool part about this is that we haven't used anybody's names, positions, anything like that. So you won't actually see if this person has an open to work sign or whatnot. And again, these are some that Nick has texted me. These are some that uh, have come up on my feed. Somebody will repost it. Look, I'm all for telling people that you're leaving a job to start a new job or you're celebrating something at your job that you accomplished. A lot of the posts that I post now on LinkedIn are accomplishments of this show, TV appearances, things I've done for my day job when I was working for a sports data company. So I was doing stuff at conferences, right? Showcasing our sports data and things like that, podcast appearances that I did on behalf of the company. That's what I think this platform is for. That other platform, it, it, whatever it is out there in the social media universe, is for expressing emotions like this or connecting with like-minded people. I don't, I don't, I don't know what you would gain from putting that 
on LinkedIn where recruiters could see that and say, is this the person I want to hire for a role? Again, I'm not a recruiter, so I don't know if that would come. And we read something. The first one was from somebody looking for a job in recruitment. So I, I don't know. I mean, he's posting it, so maybe it is okay for somebody to post it. I would not link this in. The whole point of this segment is to LinkedIn or to not link it in. I would not link this in. I just think that this is a professional platform, career accomplishments. You know, I, I got this skill certification thing. I did this. I was on that. I've been featured in this magazine. Promote yourself. I, do you want to see that? I don't know. Folks, let us know. We're going to cut it short here because the fourth one is is way too wild. We'll save it for another segment. But I want people to email us. Can we please talk podcast at gmail.com. Would you link this in or would you not link this in some of these posts that you have seen? And also, if you're seeing other posts that are like this, do you have a certain feeling or opinion about them? Email us. Can we please talk podcast at gmail.com or leave it in the comments of this video over on YouTube. That's our show for today. As always, our thank you to Maya King, a fantastic New York Times politics reporter. Go check out the video that we did with Maya over on our YouTube channel type in can we please talk podcast we should pop right up if you're on the youtube channel thank you so much hit the subscribe button for me as my co-host is pointing down smashing the subscribe button audio podcast platforms you know by now apple spotify google shout out to everybody who listens to us over on good pods shout out to acast our hosting platform can't do it without him can't do it out each and every one of you that listens to this program as always i'm mike leon and you're removing dog pictures from my profile on linkedin i'm nick Sperry. smart man we'll see everybody next time Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.